Today we finish a series, and uh, the series is about living beautifully, and I'll just point out, because we just prayed about this, that, that the world is, is ugly, and we started the series off by talking about the ugliness of the world and how what this world needs is not Christians who follow suit with what the rest of the world does, but it, it needs Christians who live beautifully so that... Uh, there is some level of hope, there is some level of uh, light returned to this nation. And uh, I want to say that uh, perhaps now, more than even at the beginning of this series, that it should be obvious that what we have seen kind of demonstrated for us in culture lately is not the answer to how a life should be lived. I think it's clear that the other solutions to the problems in our country will not work. They do not work. They uh, lead to more evil. I would also point out one of the things that we said in this series, that I, I said in this series, is that our response when people disagree with us, our response when people are against us, should not be just to yell back. It shouldn't be to be mad that they are against us. There should be something different in us than our opponents, if you will. Uh, and, and I think that, that we've seen that that's very important in the last few days. Yelling back, shooting back is never a good answer. And the cool part for me is that the Bible, it says all these things. If people would just pay attention to the Bible, then our lives would be different. And I find encouragement in knowing that we've spent 10 weeks now looking at this book in the Bible, 1 Peter, that does an incredible job of saying, you want to be different? Here's the difference and we've seen these things that lead to, I fully believe, a beautiful life. It is not theoretical. It is not something that's just a dream. If we will put into practice the things that we've seen, then we will have a life that is beautiful. I want to, one more time, uh, just to, to kind of finish the series, I want to say what I mean by a beautiful life, and uh, I think this is something that we all know, but just to say it almost every week in the series is important. We want to have a life where we live well. Uh, I know that's vague, that's kind of obscure, that's relative, but all of us want to be able to kind of say when we're on our deathbed someday, I did a good job, whatever that means. Uh, we all want to live morally right. And while uh, the stance of some may not be the Christian morals, for those of us that are Christians, it is, but, but we all want to be able to say, I live out the morality that I subscribe to. Uh, we all want to live lives that are respected by others. We want the person next to us, our neighbors, we want our friends to say, they live a life that is good. They live well. They live a life that I would like to live. They live a life that I would aspire to live. We all want to live lives that matter, that make a difference. We all want to do something and uh, be a part of something that, that actually makes a difference for other people. We don't want to live our lives, and when we die, have people say, they didn't accomplish anything. We want lives that matter. And out of that, we want lives that don't just matter while we're living. We want lives that matter even after we die. We want to be uh, in the grave and still have people say, they were important to me. What they did mattered. It outlived them. 
And I can tell you, it's not going to happen by following the systems of the world. It's going to happen by following the will of God, the things that we've read in 1 Peter. Things like, when trials come, we still have joy. I'll just say that as we look around and we see these images and these videos in front of us online and on TV, that the response of most of the country will be to say, well, things are just getting worse and this is terrible. And Christians, we can say, yeah, things are getting worse and this is terrible, but we can also say, despite all of that, I have a level of joy because of what God has done for me. Uh, We can accomplish these five things that, that kind of go into a beautiful life by not responding to people in our relationships in the way that they respond to us, but by responding to people in a way that is demonstrative of the fact that we love God. We talked about that, how our relationships cannot be driven based on how people treat us. Our relationships must be driven based on our relationship to God. We saw in this series that if we'll just remove certain evil behaviors from our lives, then we will have a more beautiful life. So stop talking bad about people. Stop being malicious. Stop being violent and start caring about people. I guarantee that you're moving towards a life where people say, yeah, that's different. That's a life that I want to have. We've seen that in our lives, if we want to live beautifully, uh, then we must react to people who are negative against us in a godly, beautiful way. We must respond to the persecution that comes, that will inevitably come as Christians, not by being surprised, but by continuing to do that which is right and focusing on the hope that we have in heaven. And today we're going to finish the series with one more tip from Peter that I think is in some ways at kind of the core of everything we've said. It's one of those things, in fact, that the whole world would agree is beautiful. And I know that because of a country song that's very popular right now. And that country song is called Humble and Kind. Who's, who's heard it? Raise your hand. Tim McGraw. Uh, apparently Tim McGraw's not as popular as it used to be. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a beautiful song. It seems to be on every time I turn on country radio. So I think a higher percentage of Americans have heard it than in our church. But it, it says this, hold the door, say please, say thank you. Don't steal, don't cheat, and don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When those dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that what stands between us and a beautiful life is that we desire to have our flesh, we desire to have our bodies be satisfied. And so while we want to have a beautiful life, we also want to have nice things. While we want to have a beautiful life, we want to feel good. While we want to have a beautiful life, we also want to have certain things. And I think if I could just peel back another layer. So that's underneath a beautiful life, but we miss it because, well, I I want to take a homeless guy out to dinner, but I want to be able to go eat where I want to eat and I can't afford both. I gave that as an example. Uh, Underneath that, if you take a step back, is one simple word, and it's pride. We care more about ourselves 
then we care about other people. We care more about ourselves than we care about God. And, and therefore, because of those two things, we care more about ourselves than we do about living a beautiful life. I think if you were kind of putting beautiful life on one side and your life on another, I think that if you don't find that you're living a beautiful life, that you're not living a life of impact, that you're not living a life that other people respect, if you're not living a life that will outlive you, then on the wrong side of the scale, there's probably a, sounds kind of gross, but a big chunk of pride. There's probably a big chunk of pride sitting on the other side of the scale, tipping it away from having a beautiful life. Now, I just want to say that it's not just you because I think that all of us are selfish, myself included. I know that I am a selfish person and I do also know that that selfishness, that pride, that focus on self, that uh, centering of myself in the middle of the whole kind of universe, you know, is what prevents me from doing certain things that I know, I know innately are, are beautiful and that they would make a difference on society. Last week we sang a song, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, oh Lord. Uh, yet our entire lives, if you think about it, uh, we spend exalting ourselves. I think if most of us were honest, we would just sing, I exalt me, I exalt me, I exalt me, oh Chad. Selfishness is hard to overcome too, isn't it? I think that if I got up here and I preached a sermon that said, be less selfish, you would go, wow, that's pretty daunting. It seems, perhaps more than any other thing that we deal with, to be something that is natural, something that is in us, something that uh, is almost inescapable. Because, right, like we need to eat. Selfishness is in some ways a, a biological thing. We feel a need to stay alive. And so therefore, we work to stay alive. And at the heart of that, sometimes is a need in our minds to be selfish. Well, I have to have a job that pays money. And so I'm not going to do the beautiful thing. I'm going to do the thing that gets me the job so that I can have money and I can eat and I can, you know, do whatever I need to do. And so this sermon isn't, to say don't be selfish, don't be selfish. But I think this sermon, because of what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, uh, we'll begin at verse one, what Peter says is this is how you can stop being selfish. Because we can't just stop it. You don't just have a button inside of you that says don't be selfish. You need to replace that selfishness with something else. And so here's what Peter says. And he's gonna start with people in leadership position, but I want you to pay attention to these words even if you're not in any leadership position because it shows us kind of uh, the two sides of, of, of how we re remove pride from our lives. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade 
away. Now, right from the beginning, I think it's really neat because Peter actually gives us a beautiful picture of humility. Uh, I've said this in this series already, but Peter is a big shot. I mean, he is the one whom Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And so Peter is, in some ways, the first leader of the church, not a church, like I said before, but the entire church. Peter was one of Jesus' best friends. That's all I'd put on my resume. Like, hey, I'm one of Jesus' best friends. You know, like that, that would be it. And, and you could have any, at least, ministry job in the whole world if you just wrote that down. And, and Peter is that. He's one of Jesus' three closest confidants and people that go with Jesus to do miracles, hang out with Peter. This is a big deal. Peter writes part of the Bible. That'd be thing number two on the resume. Like, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. I wrote part of the Bible, and the Holy Spirit inspired me to do that. That's pretty cool, right? And Peter doesn't start this chapter of this letter that way. He doesn't say, to the elders among you, I appeal as a writer of the Bible, as one of Jesus' closest friends, as the leader of the church of someone who must be obeyed. I write to you as a fellow elder. Isn't that a cool picture of humility? I mean, that is akin to a movie star writing to me about how to be a dad, just in some hypothetical world. I'm not sure why that would happen. Uh, But writing to me about how to be a dad and starting that part of his letter, I appeal to you as a fellow dad. Not as somebody who's cool, not as somebody who's famous, not as somebody that deserves your respect because I'm rich, but as somebody who understands what you're going through, who understands what you deal with, who understands what it's like to be in your shoes. That's a picture of humility. But here's the other part. Peter begins almost right at the start of this passage by saying, here's the reason that I can be humble. And it's what he says next. Because he will share in the glory to be revealed. Now we're gonna talk more about what this means, but this is really the key to taking away the pride that prevents you from living a beautiful life. It's this, humility. And humility that is powered by, that is driven by an understanding of glory, an understanding that God is going to take care of us, an understanding that there is something better for those of us who will humble ourselves. But we'll come back to that. He says to this group of elders, be shepherds of God's flock. Now notice this, that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over to those entrusted you, entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. He says, leaders, here's what I want you to do. Humble yourself. He doesn't actually say humble yourself. He just uses a bunch of statements, phrases that inevitably mean you need to humble yourself. Be a shepherd. That means pay attention to people for the sake of their good. That's a humble thing to do. Do you know who you pay attention to most of the time? You, your needs, your desires, the things that you want. And he says, pay attention to the other people so that you can take care of them. He says to watch over them or look upon them. He says not to pursue dishonest gain. He says, don't lord it over the people entrusted you. Don't come in and go, hey, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. I'm the one that you need to respect and obey. But instead of that, serve people. And then he says, be an example. He looks at this group of leaders 
and says, if you're going to lead the church well, here's what you do. You humble yourself, and you humble yourself by being a shepherd, by watching over people, by serving people, by not lording it over them. Now, I would say this, first of all, that that we need to pay attention to this humility. If leaders are to be humble, then it seems that we should all be humble. But I also want you to pay attention because most of you have some type of leadership that you are involved in, whether it be at church, whether it be in your families, whether it be in your work. You, you are in some way a leader to your children, to a friend, to uh, your coworkers or the people who work under you at work, to the people that work with you in ministry. Uh, almost everybody that sits in front of me has at least a moment in a week where they demonstrate where they are part of some type of leadership. And how great of a leader would you be if you just followed these leadership tips? Pay attention to what's going on in people's lives so that you can help them. Uh, Don't pursue dishonest gain. Make sure that you don't lord it over the people entrusted to you. You don't just go, I told you, and that's why you're gonna do whatever I said to do. Don't be an, I wrote it this way, don't be an overbearing, prideful jerk. Serve and be an example. I mean, what if that's the type of leadership that we saw in our workplaces and in our churches and in our families. I think it's cool because millennials get a really bad rap, uh, you know, like that generation of, you know, people under my age pretty much. Uh, They're lazy, they don't respond well to leadership. You know what's cool about millennials is that this is the type of leadership that they are driving in workplaces today. I have a friend who's a great manager of a a T-Mobile store. Uh, He is, they're one of the best in the Northwest and, and they've really become that since he took over not that long ago. He doesn't lead like anybody older than me would like. He barely ever tells people what to do. Instead of telling people to put their phones away, he asks them to get their phones out, you know, and and video everything that they're doing. He's friends with these people on Facebook. He's talking about their dogs. He's totally different. But I think he demonstrates this in leadership. He just humbles himself and he's there to serve them, not the other way around. And it's beautiful. He's really a beautiful leader, actually. Notice that the ugliness of the world comes out when people lead. Isn't that true? Put a person in leadership and you'll find out if they're living a beautiful life or an ugly life because the worst of them will inevitably come out. But if we can lead in this way, then we are on the way to being more beautiful, to living like Jesus. In Matthew 20, 28, we read, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is a leader, right? I mean, Jesus is perhaps the greatest leader ever to walk the earth. And Jesus was the most humble person to ever walk the earth, giving up his very glory in heaven in order to come to earth and to serve other people. Now, notice, 5-5, five, five. in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Elders serve. Young people try to lower themselves, that's what submission is, underneath the leadership of the elders. 
Submission is something that we don't like, especially when we're young people, right? Like, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm gonna, I have all the great ideas, and how could you possibly know better than me? But he, he looks at this group of people, and I think by looking at this group of people, young people, he says that in a church, people are to be submissive to the leadership. Now, for me to harp on this too long would go back to the prior verse where it says not to lord your authority over people. So it's kind of an awkward verse to talk about. Hey, I can't lord over my authority as a pastor over you, but by the way, the next verse, submit to me. You know, uh, and so I won't harp there, but I do believe that God puts elders in place in a church, pastors, elders, and he gives them authority for a reason. And we are to uh, be in submission to put ourselves under that authority. Then in 1 Peter 5, 5, and 6, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God appro- opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Let me describe humility for you. Humility is pretty simple. It's, it's simply viewing yourself as not as important as the other guy. That's humility. Humility is looking at yourself and saying, what happens to me, my feelings, my wants, my desires are not as important as other people's. Now, we don't like that. We have the American dream in this country. We want people to be a little selfish. I've talked about this before, how with our kids, we almost, we almost celebrate when they are prideful. We almost celebrate when they're jealous of other people. We celebrate when they're driven towards uh, the American dream, towards having earthly things, getting rich, doing a job that's highly respected. Uh, we, we almost celebrate those things. And so in our society, humility, not thinking highly of oneself, but thinking more highly of others, is something that we, we don't love. But in the first century, when Peter writes this, worse. They really hated humility. Humility was, was so looked down upon that to be humble was actually seen as being cowardly uh, or weak, and it was something that they believed should only be present in a slave because it was forced upon a slave. This is how they thought of humility. So to lower yourself and say, well, I'm not as important as other people was seen as a negative. And so Peter here, just like in our culture, says something that is extremely, extremely countercultural. He says, clothe yourself. If you could dress yourself with one thing for a beautiful life, make it humility. Make it Seeing yourself is less important than other people. The word clothe means to bind a thing to oneself or wear it constantly or to clothe with an outer ornamental garment tied closely upon one with knots. Do you want to know how to dress beautifully? Put that in quotes. Put on humility. Now I was thinking about what we dress ourselves with in our relationships with other people. It's not humility, right? Because we are always making ourselves the most important when we're thinking about that person or us. We're always the most important. And, uh, and we dress ourselves with these other things. Um, and I brought clothing. Um, one that I think is a big problem is that we dress ourselves 
My hair is going to be really messed up. Big softball game tomorrow. Two church teams playing each other, by the way. Uh, nine o'clock at uh, the, the park, uh, Memorial Park. Be there. Uh, but one of the things we dress ourselves with is simply a need not to get hurt. We, we dress ourselves with an unwillingness to be vulnerable with other people. We dress ourselves uh, with simply the idea that we are going to stay protected. Maybe that's you. You spend your whole life going, I don't want to give an inch because they might take a mile. I don't want to uh, be nice to them or open up to them because then, you know, they might get inside of me. They might hurt me. I might end up hurt. This relationship might end up hurting me. And so many of you, you clothe yourselves not with humility, but with the desire to be protected from other people. Um, Some people that I know just have a desire to look good all the time. Like you dress yourselves with vanity, if you will. Your whole desire uh, is just that you, it doesn't look too bad, it doesn't match at all, but uh, you dress yourselves up so that everybody else will think that you are awesome, right? And so all of your interactions with other people are not driven, not clothed with humility. They are clothed with the desire to look good. And so you run around in your jobs and in your families and in church even and everywhere you go, just just saying, I will be dressed for success. I will be dressed as well as possible, metaphorically, so that I look good to everybody. And so all of your interactions, all of the things that you do, all of the, the choices you make are, are driven by a desire to look good to other people. I think some of you are uh, driven by just, um, these don't fit properly. They're from the Dollar Tree. Uh, But you are driven by a desire to be fake in in front of everybody. I'm not gonna keep them on. They're really blurry. They're like putting on my wife's glass, my wife's, not two of them, my wife's glasses. Uh, But some of you are driven by just not letting anybody actually see who you are, and so you're like the fun guy in a birthday party, but nobody ever sees who you are. You're like the one that can't have a real relationship. You, you just have a good time, and you're there to have fun, and, and really, your, your entire uh, relational life is clothed by just kind of having a good time, being in it for yourself, having a few laughs, but there's no depth to you, and, and in fact, there is no humility. Now, It doesn't really matter which clothing you put on. Let me be clear about this. Even if it's fear that people will see you who who you really are, uh, it's pride. All of these things are pride. You say, well, I have no self-esteem. That's why I wear my helmet around. That's prideful. A lack of self-esteem is just pride. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's just you focusing on yourself and making you the most important person and not making other people more important. That's all it is. I mean, we'd like to say, well, you need to, whatever, feel better about yourself, but that's, that's not true. It, you're just as prideful as LeBron James, who seems to have plenty of self-esteem if you have no self-esteem because it's still all about you. And Peter as inspired by God, says, take off those things. You don't need to always look good. You don't need to always be fake. You don't always need to be guarded. You need to be humble. 
making other people more important than yourself. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves, value others above yourselves. It's the definition of humility. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ who came to earth, lived a sinless life, and then died all for the sake of other people. In John 13, there's an incredible story. It's a story that doesn't seem like it should exist because it's too humble. Jesus gets down on his hands and feet and he washes the feet of his disciples. And they look at him and they're like, whoa, 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 you can't wash our feet? And Jesus is like, I need to wash your feet. And then at the end of the story, he looks at them and says, you've seen what I've done to you now. Go and do it to each other. He doesn't just mean wash each other's feet. He means be so humble that you're willing to wash each other's feet. Make the other person so important that getting your hands disgusting and dirty on their feet is less important than them having clean feet. Stop being the center of your universe and instead raise other people up. In Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And in this passage, we see the same thing. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, here's the thing. You say, I I don't want to clothe myself with humility because I might get hurt and then people will really see who I am and I won't be the most liked guy at the party or in my family anymore. And then there's the statement. God opposes you when you're prideful, but he shows favor. He gives gifts. He shows grace to people who are humble. Now, here's the thing. I was talking to somebody after last week's sermon and they, they kind of summarized my sermon by saying, have a heavenly perspective. And I think that, that it wasn't just a summary of the sermon. I think it was a summary of this series. Have a heavenly perspective. And if you really turn your attention to heaven, then you will say, well, if it is true that God shows favor to those who are humble, doesn't that make it easier to be humble? Because we're innately selfish. We say, well, I need some of God's favor. God says, well, be humble. Put others above yourself, and I will show you favor. Perhaps, perhaps. This is not a one-to-one ratio. If you just become more humble, God will give you more stuff. But perhaps there are struggles in your life. Perhaps there are things that are missing that you have asked God for because you are prideful and because you have made yourself the center of the universe. And now God's saying, I would like to, but you need to take a step down. You see, Peter again goes, look, humble yourself, but don't just humble yourself and go, well, I guess I'm never gonna get anything. Humble yourself and know that by doing so, you will receive something, and it is the favor of God. Make others the most important, and God will give you gifts. God will dispel, dispense grace upon you in a new and fresh way. The humility to others is driven, therefore, by 
a humility before God. And notice what it says. Notice what it says. It says about God that we are under God's mighty hand. Now, that sounds like a threat, does it not? But when you think about the situation that these readers are in, about to face persecution as we talked about recently, persecution so bad that some of them will be burned literally to death. The mighty hand of God isn't a threat anymore. It's an encouragement. It's a reminder that when we make ourselves less important, it's okay because God will bestow his favor upon us. And not only that, but God is powerful. And he can overcome anything that we think is going to be a difficulty because we have humbled ourselves. We say, well, if I humble myself, I may not have a job. I'm powerful. I think that if you want to humble yourself, first you must remember that that God's favor will come, but you also must remember that God is going to help and God is powerful. I I think of it like this way, uh, as we think about politics right now and and what's happening in our country and we have an election coming up and that might be a part of every sermon until the election or until I see all Christians get this right on Facebook, Uh, but but we have this election coming up and, and it's really hard for us to be humble and make our friends more important than us because they're wrong you know, and they're idiots and they're going to lead our country astray. And I mean, if they vote for that guy, then how we're, we're done. It's over. It's, it's, we're history. United States of America gone. But your friend's not that powerful. And the president isn't that powerful. God is powerful. And you can lower yourself and be humble towards others because you serve a mighty God who is ultimately in control. By the way, you're not that powerful. You raising yourself up to yell at other people, not really gonna make a difference in the whole scheme of things because God is in control, not you. Isn't that part of it? Well, if I'm humble, then my way won't happen and my way is the best way God is in control. Don't be prideful. Be humble because first, because first, what we saw Peter say about himself, a reward is coming. Second, because you want God's favor now. Third, because God is in control, not you. And then he says this last part that's awesome. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is not a new sentence in Greek. It's a continuation of the last sentence. In the NIV translation, it seems like, where'd that go? We just started a new thought altogether. But this is the same sentence. And he answers this question that I'm sure all of you had. If I don't fight for my own rights, if I clothe myself in something other than looking good or protection or being awesome, what about the things I need? If I am constantly clothed in my relationships with raising other people up and lowering myself, then how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to have the things that I need? How am I going to be respected? Cast all your anxiety on him. We're not humble, not because we don't want to be humble. 
I don't think. We all like it. Tim McGraw sings about it. Everybody wants to be humble. I don't think, and we won't ask for a show of hands, anybody would raise their hand and say, I'd like to be more arrogant. I would like to be more prideful. I would like to be more self-centered. I, I, that's the goal for my life. Self-centered, arrogance, prideful man. That's what I want. Nobody would say that. Everybody wants to be more humble. But if you were being totally honest, the reason that you're not is because you're scared. It's because you're scared. It's not because you're cocky. It's not because you're self-assured. It's because you're scared. You're scared that if the wall comes down, the helmet comes off, the mask comes off, uh, the suit jacket comes off. You're scared if it all comes off, you'll be hurt, you'll be broke, people won't like you for who you are, you'll be disrespected, you won't have a job that is as good as the job you have now. Your family will dislike you. You'll get, this is a big one, you'll get run over by people that are arrogant, like, well, here, you have your way, and and then they'll get their way, and you won't get yours. You're scared. I'm scared. And so Peter says, hey, humble yourself. Remember that with it comes reward. Remember that with it comes the favor of God. Remember that with it comes an understanding that God is powerful, but it's still scary. So throw, it's more the language we use unless you're a fisherman. Throw your cares on God. Just turn to God and say, God, this person isn't that nice. And if I lower myself and make them more important, then I got a problem because I'm always going to be driving them somewhere. I'm always going to be helping them move. They're always gonna want more money from me. I'm freaked out about it. Here you go. I don't think we take that seriously. I don't think we remember the power of God, nor do we remember that last part, that God cares about you. We go, if I help, this is the big question, if I humble myself, then who will care about me? Who will care about me if I'm not looking out for me? You know the phrase, gotta look out for number one. But you don't when God's looking out for you. You don't have to look out for yourself when an almighty, all-powerful God who loves and cares about you is looking out for you. You can just make everybody else more important and humbly serve. And you will live an extremely beautiful life. Do you think that Mother Teresa was a superhero? No. I think Mother Teresa understood this. We, she has a beautiful life, right? That's somebody we can all agree on. Beautiful life, serving people, being there for the disenfranchised and the sick and the hurting and the broken. We can all agree she lived a beautiful life, a life that still matters. And I don't think she did it because she just woke up one day and said, no pride, got it, push the humility button. She did it because she believed that there would be reward and she did it because she believed that God would give her favor and she did it because she remembered that God was powerful and she did it because she knew that God cared about her and so she therefore could care about others. You don't have to look out for number one because the number one is looking out for you. Psalm 55, 22 
It says that same thing. Peter's actually quoting it. Cast your cares on the Lord, and notice this, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. I just ask, where do you throw your cares? Like, do you throw your cares on working harder? Do you throw your cares on uh, the next job? Do you throw your cares on being organized? Do you throw your cares on another person? I mean, who do you throw your cares on? Because none of it's going to work as well as throwing your cares on God. And, and this is the reality. When we trust God with that which concerns us, we can live a humble, beautiful life. And so here's, here it is, ready? This is, this is why, this is how, this is the motor behind being clothed with humility, behind living a humble life. Just remember this little rhyme, ready? Everybody think of this. Pride leads to futility, Reward comes from humility. Again, pride leads to futility. It won't matter. It does no good. You could be as prideful as you want and it does no good. Pride leads to futility. Reward comes from humility. It is hard not to be selfish, but if you remember that when you are humble, if you will humble yourself and make everybody more important, then, then you will have the reward of God. There's this great story that I like a lot simply because it reflects me, oh, pride, uh, because it, it, it's something I would have said, and it's in Matthew 19, 27 through 29 is the end of it, but Jesus has said, like, it's really hard for a rich person to get into heaven, and then he says, it's possible for God to get people into heaven that are rich, and then Peter, this is how he answers, we've left everything to follow you. What then will be, there be for us? That's the question I have. If I'm humble and I serve people and I make myself less important, what's in it for me? Now, the spiritual churchy answer that Jesus should have given, we all know this if we've grown up in the church, is Peter, it's not about you. It's all about me. And, uh, you know, play for an audience of one and uh, lower yourself. And where's the humility at? Jesus said to him, them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus doesn't say, humble yourself by not wanting anything for yourself. He says, humble yourself because you want something great later. Humble yourself because you believe in a spiritual realm. Humble yourself because you have an eternal, heavenly perspective. Humble yourself because if you do, God will show favor, God will lift you up, God is powerful, and God cares about you. I would say that the stupidly selfish thing to do is not humble yourself. So humble yourself. Pride leads to futility. Rewards come from humility. Will you pray with me? Lord, it's so hard. This is like one of the hardest, God, because I haven't figured it out yet. But God, I pray that we would... Um, be more selfish for spiritual blessings and less selfish for worldly blessings. I pray, God, that we would lower ourselves, God, 
because we love you and we want to worship you and because you deserve it and all of those things, but also, God, because we believe the promises that have been laid forth here. Promise for favor, a promise to be lifted up, a promise that you are powerful, a promise that you care about us, God. And Lord, I believe as we finish this series, if we will take off all the other stuff that we put on to protect ourselves and to make ourselves well-liked and to obtain the money that we want to obtain and to accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish, if we would take all that off and simply be humble and kind, Lord, then we will live lives that are so beautiful. And it will drive all these other things that we've seen in this series, Lord. God, cause us to be humble. But in that, help us to remember how great you are and how great your love is for us. I pray these things in your name, amen.